This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you. And it's a very important Parsha that we're going to talk about today because it's a Parsha which brings to mind, reminds us of a very difficult and painful moment in Jewish history, a moment that boggles the mind, actually, a situation that we thought could never possibly happen, and it did. Moshe, in preparation for bringing the Jewish people into the Promised Land, sends scouts, spies, to investigate the land, to see its strength, to see its weaknesses, to see what kind of people live there, to see the type of land that the Jewish people are about to enter. And he charges them with the duty of coming back and giving him and the people a report that obviously would pave the way, make it easier for the Jewish people to enter the Promised Land. And tragically, the spies, the scouts, come back and tell a very strange story, a story of defeat, of negativity, of weakness. They said, we felt like grasshoppers in the presence of these giants. They come back with a report to indicate that what took place was they were overwhelmed by the strength and might and power of the land, giants that we saw, mighty, strong people. And the people begin to cry. The people begin to fall apart. They don't want to go into this promised land. What kind of promised land is this? And it boggles the mind because the Jewish people had experienced so many miracles, one after the other. First of all, the very exodus from Egypt, the very fact that God, through the ten plagues, broke the might of the strongest country in the world at the time. And the Jewish people walk out with pride and honor. The splitting of the sea the manna that falls from heaven, the continuous miracles, the battle against the Amalek, one after the other. How is it possible that the Jewish people would at this particular moment, the moment they are about to achieve the fulfillment of what their exodus was really all about, receiving the Torah and implementing the value of Torah into the promised land, the fulfillment of the promise that God made to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How is it possible that these scouts were able to, well, bend the minds of the Jewish people and cause them to become weak and helpless and cry out, it's not a land that we want to go. Why did you bring us to this terrible place? And who were these spies? Who were these individuals? They were the heads of the tribes. They were men of great piety, spirituality, and nobility. They led the tribes. In fact, the Torah tells us, Anashim, they were all great people. Anashim, men in the fullest sense of the word. And yet, in a matter of only 39 days... They come back, as I said, helpless and weak and dissuade the Jewish people from coming into the land. It's something which boggles the mind. How is it that at the moment of ultimate victory, at the moment when the Jewish people are going to fulfill the ultimate promise, when the Jewish people are going to come to that moment of glory, of great redemption, of coming into the promised land, how is it possible that the Jewish people would fall apart and become as helpless as they did. And we talk about it, and we try to explain it from different points of view, but the fact remains, it's an issue, a question that boggles the mind. It's a question that confuses us. And despite the fact that Joshua and Kalev, who remained loyal to the mission upon which Moshe sent them, 
They plead with the people. They tell the people that these individuals are wrong. They're not telling the truth. Nonetheless, despite their tremendous overtures, they can do nothing. And the Jewish people remain in that pathetic state where they simply refuse to come into the promised land. And the repercussions that follow the anger of God and how Moshe has to exercise his great leadership in order to bring about a situation of forgiveness for the Jewish people. But the fact remains that the Jewish people did not go into the promised land. And perhaps the word that I said before, that Joshua and Caleb accused them of lying, is wrong. Didn't accuse them of lying, but rather twisting the words, changing the words. Our commentary says something quite interesting. It says, why is this particular story told to us so close to the end of last week's Parsha, which speaks about the fact that Miriam spoke negatively about her brother or criticized her brother Moshe. And God became very upset. He said, how dare you criticize this individual? He is the one who is the most perfect of people. He is the one who is most trusted within my home. God himself points to Moshe and says, this is the perfect individual whom I trust within all of creation. And she was punished. Why? Because she spoke Lashon Hara. She spoke, well, negative talk about Moshe. And our commentaries tell us that the heads of the tribes should have learned from this story not to use negative talk. In other words, what they said and how they said it is not so much a lie, but rather presenting the truth in a negative way. And this is something which Esparsha talks to us about, the concept of language, the concept of using language correctly, because a person can tell the truth. And a person can share news, and a person can say all sorts of interesting and wonderful things, but they fall into a category of negative talk. And negative talk is extremely destructive. Not only did it bring about a situation where Miriam, the righteous woman, the elder sister of Moshe, is punished with a terrible plague like Tzarat because she spoke critically and negatively against Moshe, but the negative talk of the Miraglim, resulted in the, well, ultimate punishment. The Jewish people, that entire generation, had to die, perish in the wilderness, in the desolate desert, and they could not come into the promised land. They would not enter the promised land. It's only the next generation. Why is it that the presentation, even of truth, in a twisted or dishonest manner, is something which can bring about such destructive repercussions. We have to understand what was the intention of the Miraglim, of these spies of scouts, what in fact the Jewish people heard, what in fact took place, what in fact this entire Parsha is all about. And it ends with an interesting mitzvah, the mitzvah of tzitzit, of putting the tassels on a four-cornered garment. What is that all about? And how does that connect to the idea of this Parsha Shlach, where Moshe sends the scouts, the spies, into the Promised Land? More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. 
We're talking about the Miraglim. We're talking about the scouts, the spies. We're talking about the strange story. Jewish people who've been waiting since the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the fulfillment of the great promise of coming into the promised land, the holy land, the land that God designated as the proper place for the Jewish people to fulfill their purpose upon this earth as a nation, a great and powerful nation. And yet when the moment comes, they are denied this great reward. And the reason that they are denied this great reward is because their very own leaders, their very own individuals who were sent to investigate the land came back with a negative report. And there was a tremendous hullabaloo. Caleb, Kalev, and Joshua, Yahushua, tried to change the mind of the Jewish people because they suddenly realized that it's not so much that the Miraglim were lying, but they were presenting their report in a way which would result in negative conclusions. They were told by Moshe to go find out about the strength of the land, the power of the people. Are the cities fortified? Are the cities strong? And then, and only then, to talk about the rewards of the great, special, wonderful fruit. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And when they come back, they talk about the reward first and quickly, and then they speak about how frightening that place was. They twist, they change the agenda of the report, rather than bringing back a report based upon the clear instructions of Moshe, they come back with a negative report. They talk about the rewards. They say it's a beautiful land, but is it worth it? It is a land that devours its inhabitants. If we bring our children there, they will become the spoils of war. They will be destroyed by the experience. Joshua and Caleb stand up and scream and plead and beg, but to no avail. What was that all about? How is it possible that men who a short while ago are trusted with the tremendous mission of being sent by Moshe, no less than Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu, the ultimate leader of the Jewish people, he handpicks these individuals to go and scout the land. How is it possible that in a matter of 39 short days, not only do they change their minds, but they become destructive, they become negative, they bring about a tremendous, tremendous calamity as far as the Jewish people are concerned. And while, of course, commentary is at great pains to explain what, in fact, it was all about, nonetheless, the story has to be understood at a different level, because at the obvious level, it truly boggles the mind, regardless of how well we understand it. And this is why, when it comes to the Hasidic masters, they take a different view of what, in fact, actually took, took place. What took place was wrong. But what was the motive of these scouts? What was the motive? Why would they come back and say and do something which was so negative and so destructive? And the answer is rather complicated. Because we take a look at one of the things that they said when they reported. They said that it's a land. We cannot go up to that land. And they are stronger than we are. And commentary points out a play on the words, they are even stronger than God himself. Now, how could they possibly say something like that? 
They themselves personally witnessed, as mentioned before, the incredible miracles that God showed the Jewish people. God takes the strongest and mightiest country in the world, Mitzrayim, Egypt, and he destroys it systematically from beginning to end in a matter of a year. They see the Kriyat Yamsuv, they see the splitting of the sea. They stand at Sinai, they receive the Torah, they watch the manna fall from heaven on a daily basis, except for Shabbat. They see miracle upon miracle upon miracle. They see the constant, majestic, glorious, miraculous hand of God every single day of their lives. How could they possibly suggest that the people living in the land of Canaan, ultimately to become the promised land, are stronger than God himself? They can become atheists in such a short while? The answer is complicated, but the answer has to be understood in order to fully understand what, in fact, their motive was and why it was so wrong and the terrible mistake, the terrible error that they made. The spies were men, as I said before, of great piety, of great righteousness. They were individuals who were hand-picked by Moshe to become the scouts. They were the individuals who led the Jewish people. They were the heads of the tribes. And in their minds, their first concern was the protection of the people. And they thought to themselves, here are our people, the Jewish people in the wilderness. It's a way from the land, so to speak. We are living in a protected, miraculous environment. We have the manna from heaven on a daily basis to feed us. We have the clouds that came about as a result of the merit of Aaron to protect us, the cloud of the day to protect us against the heat of the sun, and the cloud of fire at night to protect us against the cold, bitter cold of the desert night and also the clouds that would protect us against the enemy in case one ever attacked. In the center of our camps is the Mishkan itself, the house of God, the dwelling place of God. It contains the Luchot, it contains the tablets, the symbol of Matan Torah, the symbol of receiving the Torah. The Jewish people at that time lived in a state of spiritual perfection. All their physical needs were miraculously taken care of. The water, based upon the well of Miriam, miraculous well that followed the Jewish people through the wilderness, through the desert. All their needs, all their material needs are taken. Their clothes every day as if they were new. Whatever they had was in a state of perfection. They were able to devote their entire time to spiritual matters, to the study of Torah, to live at a high level. We mustn't forget, our sages refer to this particular generation of the Jews who came out of Egypt as Dorodea, men of great intellect, men of great knowledge, men who stood, men and women, a nation that stood around Sinai and received God's Torah directly from God. They witnessed, they experienced the ultimate spiritual interaction between God and the Jewish people. They were the Dordea. They were men of intense, powerful spiritual greatness. But they made a mistake. And the mistake was 
that they thought this was the ultimate purpose of God's creation, to live in secluded spirituality, in a state of protected holiness, in a condition of wonderful, wonderful spiritual greatness. But that's not why God created the world. God created the world for each and every one of us to go into the world and to deal with the world and to deal with the physical dimensions of the world. Yes, of course, there was a time, a moment in history where the Jewish people are treated to this incredible state of physical perfection based upon constant miraculous presence, the manna, the water, the clouds. But ultimately, God wanted the Jewish people to work the land to plow the land, to see the land, to harvest the wheat, to grind the wheat, to bake the bread. God wanted the Jewish people to take the mitzvot of Torah, each and every one of them, directed toward a very specific but powerful physical dimension of the world, to work the world correctly, and to leave that haven of holiness that dominion of spirituality where they didn't physically have to work at all. God wanted the Jewish people to come into a physical world and to take the power, the energy, the strength of Torah and mitzvot and to apply it to the physical dimensions of the world to transform the physical to a state of great spirituality through their own efforts. God could have created a perfect world had he wanted to. God could have created a world of tremendous, tremendous spiritual perfection. God's intention was different. God created a physical world in which he put man, and man with his strength and his weaknesses to work the world, to work the land, to take the physical dimensions of life and to use them powerfully but correctly according to the laws of Torah, according to the mitzvot. And that's the way God empowered individuals, each and every one of us, to be partners in his creation and to elevate that creation to a state of perfection as a result of the efforts of man. And this is something which the spies were frightened of. They thought that these people were not capable of entering the physical dimension. If they would enter the physical world, they would be completely destroyed. They would be overwhelmed by the coarseness of the physical world. And instead of transforming the world into a state of great spirituality, they would, in fact, become subdued as a result of the intensity of the physical and wouldn't have the strength to elevate it. They underestimated the Jewish people terribly. And this is what they said. This is a land that consumes its inhabitants. The physical world eats its inhabitants. Yes, we take a look at the world, and the physical dimension does have incredible power, and it does often overwhelm the individual. But the individual, the Jew, if he stays connected to Torah, and he studies portions of Torah every single day, and he uses that knowledge, and he uses that wisdom, he uses the mitzvot to, in fact, deal with the world, he becomes the master of the physical rather than being mastered by the physical. And this is something which the spies simply did not accept. They thought to themselves the Jewish people are not ready for that type 
of involvement, it is better they stay in a protected environment away from the physical world where the miracle of God will sustain them rather than the efforts of man together with the miracle of God. And this is what they said, that the people that we saw there, they are stronger than God. What do they mean stronger than God? Because they said, once you come into the physical world, God no longer deals with you on a miraculous level, and therefore he removes himself from any involvement with you, which in fact was a wrong concept. God is here with us at all times. Yes, he is hidden. The world itself, Olam, comes from the word Helen, which means hiddenness. God is hidden, but we reveal his presence through the study of Torah, through the observance of mitzvahs, through using the world correctly and properly. And this was the incredible mistake that the spies made. They underestimated the true strength of the Jewish people. They felt that a purely spiritual, miraculous environment is the ultimate purpose of creation. And this is why they come back with a negative report. They come back with a negative report to indicate not so much the fact that they fell apart, but because they said we realized that we as human beings don't have the strength, the ability, the power to fulfill this particular mission because we will be overwhelmed by the physical influences of the world. And that was their great mistake. More of that soon. This is the Weekly Parsha with Rabbi Mendel Lipska from Chabad of Hyde Park. We're talking about the Miraglim. We're talking about the great mistake they made. They didn't understand, fully understand or appreciate the fact that God intended people to come into this world and to deal with the physical world, not to reject it, not to run away from it, not to hide from it, but to deal with it correctly along the lines of Torah and commandments. When you use God's mitzvot in this physical world and apply them to everyday physical action, this is the way you transform the world into something greater, into something stronger. And they made that mistake. More of that in a little while. How is it possible that they made a mistake? As I mentioned before, they made the mistake because they had justifiable and positive motives, but even good motives can end up in a disaster if you don't fulfill the particulars of the mission that you were sent upon. Moshe gave them particular and specific instructions. He told them precisely what they had to do. They had to fulfill what Moshe told them, and yet they used their own judgment. They allowed, well, a misreading of the situation based upon their inability to understand the real strength of the human being, the real strength of the Jew within the physical world. And this is why they were punished. They were punished, well, with a punishment which in fact was a continuation of what they did. They could not enter the promised land. You didn't want to come in. You were frightened to come in. You felt that you didn't have the strength. Fine, stay behind. The very children that you were so worried about, the very children that you said will become the spoils of war, they are the ones who are going to march into that land with strength and with dignity and with power and with clarity, with a certainty that they can fulfill exactly 
what God expects them to do within the physical realm, and so it was. And this is something that we have to understand fully and completely, the tremendous strength that we possess. We were empowered with an ability not to be handled by the world, but to handle the world. Yes, it takes discipline. It takes strength. Often, you have to use all sorts of inner strength to ensure that the coarseness of the physical world doesn't overwhelm you, and you do the right thing at all times. You behave in a way which fulfills the will of God, which illustrates the will of God at all times. But it can be done because this is the mission that you were given. And no one is given a mission that they cannot fulfill. Certainly God would not give us a mission. And Moshe, as the most trusted of God's creatures, is one who understands the true strength and power of the individuals. And therefore, when he sends the spies, he sends them with the intention of knowing what they have to do. They fall. The future generation is the one that comes in. And this is what I said earlier on, that the end of the Parsha talks to us about the mitzvah of tzitzit, and every four-cornered garment, we have to put the tzitzit tassels. And it says, and you will have them there, and you will see them, and you will remember the laws of God. Now, the four-cornered garment can be a metaphor for God's creation the four corners of the world, creation, which we often talk about the four directions, north, east, south, and west. We talk about the four-cornered world. What are the tassels? These are those dimensions which we add on as people. We take God's incredible, beautiful, and wonderful creation, and we add on dimensions to enable, well, as the tzitzite go down to enter into the physical world and to deal with them correctly. But what the Torah tells us as these become symbols, when you see them, you remember the entire Torah. You remember all the mitzvot. In fact, there is a numerical concept of 613, etc., etc., etc. What is that all about? What that is all about is a reminder. When we add the tassels to the garment, so to speak, when we add our dimension of input, of effort, into God's creation, into the four-cornered world, when we do what we have to do, it has to be done in a way that we ourselves see the benefit of what we are doing and others see it as well. We can't hide behind all sorts of barriers, all sorts of screens in order to fulfill the will of God. We have to do it with a sense of strength. We have to do it in a public sort of way where others recognize as well that we are those individuals who have been empowered to do just that. And in this way, we inspire others. We uplift others. We take the power that we know that we understand. We take the energy that we feel and we pass it on to others. We reveal it within others, not only parents and children, not only educators and students, but each and every one of us at any given time, how we behave, it has to be done in a way that reminds us, it displays to others wonderful and great and good things. And this is what this parish is all about. Shlach. Moshe sends the people into the world, sends the people. This is the idea of going into the world, of entering the world, of, yes, meeting incredible challenges. Of course, the people in the promised land were strong and powerful and giants, but we have the strength to overwhelm that. It's not a land that will devour us. It is a land that we will use correctly. It is not a place where God's presence cannot be felt, and therefore, if he doesn't act in a revealed, miraculous way, he's not here at all 
Quite to the contrary, when God reveals his presence through the natural system of the world as creator, that, in fact, in a sense, is far greater than the revealed miracle. Yes, of course, from time to time we look to a revealed miracle. Each and every one of us asks God for a miracle. We need whatever the case might be in all sorts of situations, material, physical, spiritual. But the fact remains we are physical creatures within a physical world, and therefore we have to take the dimension of the physical mitzvot, apply them correctly. This is the way we put it, tzitzit, on the four-cornered garment of the world, on God's creation, as it were, and we become a public display of God's presence. We become a public display of hope, of strength, of certainty, of faith. We become a public display of joy. We become a public display of individuals who are proud to be the scouts of the world, to come into the world and to transform form the world. So when you are in shul tomorrow, listen to this parasha carefully. It's a fascinating story. It's a troubling story. As we read it, it has all sorts of dimensions that makes us wonder and worry. But remember as well, we have the strength to overcome it. There was a motive of greatness, but misguided. When we have the strength and we use it correctly, according to the specific instructions of Moshe, the specific instructions of God, we bring about a greater miracle because it's not only God's miracle, but it's the input of the individual as well that God empowered with this great strength. Listen to the story carefully, get inspired, and inspire others. Good Shabbos.